The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 14, verses 19 through 28. The uh, title of the message is really from the Lord. My grace is sufficient. We need today the grace of God as never before because of what's going on in the world. So let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you. We welcome the presence of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, I thank you for all those who are here, uh, those who are listening to this message, those who are wherever they are, at home or online or radio or whatever. Lord, may we hear what the Lord is saying to the church in this hour and for such a time as this. And it's in Jesus' wonderful, mighty name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Okay, so let's look at verses 19 and 20, Acts 14, uh, verse 19. It says, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. So my first uh, life lesson of application for us is bearing the marks of Jesus. You and I get the opportunity uh, to bear the marks of Jesus. And what, what do I mean by that? Rejection. Uh, you know, the gospel goes out, and we're to share, and we're to be a witness, and not everybody likes it. Not everybody will receive it, and there is a spirit that actually is against it. There is an anti-Christ spirit. God loves the whole world. Everybody gets the opportunity. Everybody gets the chance and to make a choice, but there are those who are opposed to it. And look, uh, the moment you give your life to Christ you will immediately, you know, you, the glory of the Lord comes upon you and, and uh, you have this fresh peace and forgiveness. There's kind of a honeymoon period for every brand new believer. But soon thereafter, there comes like pressure and opposition and weird stuff. It's like, wow, I feel something going on that's kind of against this. Yes. Now that you're one of God's children, the enemy has you marked and he's like, I gotta resist this guy. Man, if this guy, if this gal gets walking in the spirit, they could do great damage to the kingdom of darkness. So there's a battle that ensues. Now, if you weren't here last week, I'll bring you up to speed where we're coming in, in this, these final verses of chapter 14, the end of the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And um, they, they, the final couple of places that they went, uh, this one place they went, there, there was no synagogue. Usually, Paul and Barnabas, when they went to a new city, they would go into the synagogue where there are Jews. And why? Because the Jews kind of had God's timeline from Abraham, Moses, David, prophecies, a Messiah's coming. And all you needed to do uh, is to be kind of plug in that the Messiah is, has come, and his name is Jesus, and he's from Nazareth. And you know, these are people all over the Mediterranean, the Roman world, they've never been to Israel maybe, so you're, you're kind of fitting that in, oh, and they accept the Lord, and then you use them, because they have the Old Testament, and they begin witnessing to the, their local community. 
But Paul came to this one place, there was no synagogue. What that means is there's not even 10 Jews that lived in the city. Because you had to have at least 10 men to have a you know, legal uh, synagogue. So how are you going to share in a city like that? Uh, we have nothing to start with. So they went to the marketplace and they're outside and kind of the local mall. And Paul's just talking to whoever about Jesus. This miracle worker, this miracle man from Israel and how he healed the, the blind and he opened the ears of those who were deaf and he loosened the tongue of the dumb and those who were lame were able to walk. Whoa. And eavesdropping on that conversation in the open market is a guy who happens to be lame from birth. And as he listens about Jesus and his power and the miracles and something about that, you know, Paul is speaking from personal experience. He had seen the Lord on the road to Damascus. The guy's like, I, I want this Jesus. I believe in this Jesus. And Paul discerns by the Holy Spirit, that man has faith to be healed. So he looks at him, points at him, shouts at him and says, stand up in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. The man tries, he finds strength that he didn't know he had. He stands up, he begins walking and leaping and praising God and it creates chaos, pandemonium. Hundreds of people start yelling and shouting, what, 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 see that guy running, that's the lame guy. Everybody probably had passed him in the marketplace. What? And then they thought that two gods, Greek gods, had come from heaven because there was an ancient legend we talked about last week. And so they said, they're gods. So, but they're all talking in their language. Paul and Barnabas do not know their local language. They don't know what they're talking about. So the priest of that weird temple from the two Greek gods, they come and they bring oxen and Paul and Barnabas are going, wow, this is cool. What are you guys doing? And finally somebody translates, they think you're God and they're bowing down to worship and sacrifice to you. So Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we're men just like you. And so he begins to share with them uh, the, the truth of the matter. But here's what happens. And now to catch up to the two strange verses we just read. So where they go, revival's breaking out. Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Uh, Jews are coming to the Lord. Uh, churches are being planted. But one of the places they had just been where a lot of people had come to the Lord, there were others who opposed their message and got a posse together and traveled more than 100 miles to catch up to where they were. And they said, we reject your message and you are evil and your message is wrong. And they grabbed Paul, somehow this mob, tear him from Barnabas and a few other believers that were traveling together. And they throw him down and immediately pick up stones to stone him to death. And literally, as this is happening, Barnabas, to his horror, and the others who were there, it, the mob took over. There was nothing, absolutely, that they could do. So when that happens, uh, you know, he, there is his lifeless body. He looked dead. The people there were like, he's not breathing, uh, he's not moving. He'd been stoned, he looks pretty dead. So they grabbed his limp little body and they dragged it from the middle of the city outside of the city and left it there. So Paul, or Barnabas rather, and a few others, they went out there after the mob left and they're like kneeling down and, oh God, you know, it looks like he's dead and they're laying hands on him and they're praying and they're interceding and all of a sudden, Paul's eyes pop open and he's like, he looks at them and he's got this big smile on his face. And they're like, 
what? We thought you were dead, but now you're alive. He goes, oh, yes, I'm alive. He stands up. And they're like, Paul, are you okay? Let me get you a chair. No, 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 I feel good. And he starts walking. And they're like, Paul, what are you doing? Where are you going? He was walking straight back into the city where he had just been stoned to death and now had risen. Paul, what are you doing? He goes, are you kidding me? I have seen something, and I'm telling you, I'm going right back there, and I'm going to encourage all of those who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and say, there's nothing, no rock can stop you when you have the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ inside of you. Amen? So he he walks right back to where they stoned him, starts doing more teachings and Bible studies. Now, something very interesting about this story, when Paul gets stoned to death, um... The Bible has a verse that says we reap what we sow. You remember that one? So be careful what you do uh, to others because the Bible says what you do unto others will be done back to you. You will reap what you sow. Well, isn't the story of Paul, who was originally Saul, that he rejected Jesus and the message of the gospel and he literally stood yelling, screaming, cheering the stoning of a young Jewish man named Stephen who was testifying with his mouth, Yeshua of Nazareth is the fulfillment of all the Hebrew prophets. He is risen from the dead. He is Lord and Christ. And we, the Jews, have crucified the Holy One. And Saul was angry, and there were others angry, and they stoned Stephen to death. And you remember the last thing? He said, I see Jesus standing in heaven, ready to receive me. And then his last prayer was, Father, lay not this sin to their account. Saul was there. Now, then he goes on the road to Damascus. Then he sees the brilliant, glorious, Shekinah glory, light of God. And he hears the voice of God, hey, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the voice says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you're persecuting. Now, actually, Saul was persecuting Christians, but Jesus took it that personally. You touch them, you touch me. And you are, who are you in the blinding light of the glory of God? Jesus. The revelation of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. So now he's a believer. Isn't it interesting, though, that now that he's a believer, he's just like Stephen, And he who had stoned another is now himself stoned. So I think it's a very interesting uh, truth and warning for all of us. But then there is something that the Apostle Paul wrote in a letter to the church of Corinth, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. Listen to this. Paul wrote this. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, so he hasn't talked about this experience in 14 years. For the very first time, he's writing it down in a letter. And he says, I know a man who in Christ 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I don't know. Only God knows. But such a one was caught up to the third heaven. Translation, where the cherubim, seraphim, angels, glory of God, throne of God, heaven itself are. And I know such a man. Paul says, I know this guy. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. How he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. I believe that Paul was talking about himself. 
his own personal experience. He is the man, but it was such a sovereign, supernatural, holy experience, he put it in the second person. It happened to this guy that I know 14 years ago, and I don't know if he was in the body or out. So Paul says, I don't know if I died or not. It's what we call in modern medical terms a near-death experience or an NDE. By the way, um, there are multitudes, uh, hundreds and hundreds of testimonies of NDEs. I don't know if you're aware of that, but of people who are brought to the edge of heaven. They don't get in. They don't go through because apparently if you go all the way in, you're not coming back out. But they get up to the edges of it and they describe what they saw, what they heard. So it's something that happens even to this day. Paul had that experience. And I believe that it was in this place of Lystra where he was stoned and left for dead. And that's why when, you know, you've just been to heaven, you wake up, yeah, my body's all, you know, broken and bruised and bleeding, but he goes, whoo, man, I've been to heaven, whoo, let's go. And he goes right back into the city. How many want that kind of fire and glory inside of you, amen? Okay, so look with me in verse 21. So what did they do? Paul goes back in to where the fire was. Verse 21, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They made many disciples. This was an exciting work. A revival is breaking out. Large numbers of people, both Jew and Gentile, coming to the Lord. It was time to go back and really strengthen the believers, encourage and make disciples. So all of you who are believers are disciples. We're all then called to make disciples, and you start with your own family. We are to make disciples of our own you know, spouses, our children, our own families, and beyond. And by the way, you should also be, you know, not only it's great that we come to church and we can take advantage of a wonderful worship team and we can sing in mass together, we can do a Bible study together, it's wonderful. But they met on Solomon's porch in large gatherings, but they also met from home to home. I wanna drive into you the seed of the reality that according to the book of Acts and the New Testament, your home is a sanctuary. Your home is a church. Your home is a place where you are to remember and honor the Lord and love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. A place where you pray, a place where you meditate, a place where you read scriptures, a place where you do the one another's. So we've got over 100 uh, home groups, and we got a bunch of new groups that are starting up soon. So that's like over 100 churches within another larger church. And I encourage all of you to belong to one, join one, or if you want, start one in your own house, but let us make disciples. Can I hear an amen on that? Okay, verse 22. There was a need to strengthen these new believers in their new faith. So verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. There's a lot in that one verse. Number one, there was a need to strengthen them in their new faith. New believers are in danger of being lured away, slipping back, being tempted, not really getting deep into the scriptures. Jesus told a parable, hey, the seed, you know, he goes out and he scatters it and some of it, if it's not planted deeply so that it germinates and begins to bud forth, break the surface of the earth and begin to blossom, the birds of the air come, steal the seed, and it's gone. 
You don't want that to happen. Somebody hears the gospel and then they open the door of their heart. You want to be able to strengthen them and make sure that they're going to continue with the Lord. So again, verse 22. Number two, continuance is proof of true faith in Jesus Christ. There are many people that have the attitude, yeah, I was a Christian, I went to church, I was a religious guy, I was spiritual as a gal for a while, and then I moved on or whatever. And so, look, they need to be, here's the proof that you are a child of God, you continue in what you begin. What you know of Jesus, what you learned of Jesus, you don't let go of it, you certainly don't outgrow it, you go deeper with it. And how did they do this? By teaching them the word of God. We need to learn to hear the voice of the Lord, especially in this day and age. Um, if I could just encourage you, for the hour in which we live, every individual needs to pray about everything. We are in a very unusual prophetic hour Every decision you make, you cannot just do it on your own head and, you know, well, I surveyed, made my best decision. We need to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. And when we hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, then we follow, then we obey. It's the only safe pass through the times in which we live. Can I hear an amen on that? Hear the voice of the Lord and follow him. And so you need to know, how do you get to know the voice of the Lord? Through the study of the word of God. There's people that think, oh man, I've read the Bible, I've been through the Bible. You, you, don't, you don't know everything. I have you know, known the Lord since I was 11 years old. We're teaching now, verse by verse. I am learning things now as I go through the book of Acts that I did not know when we went through the book of Acts many, many years ago. So what, what I want to say is that there are, well, the, the Hebrew way of thinking and, and describing it, by the way, which Jesus referred to the number 70, 70, 70 times seven, that there are 70 layers to every truth. And we usually dabble in the top two or three. Oh, I know that. Oh, I'm familiar with that. I am saying that there are literally, you can go down to the 10th floor, the 20th floor, the 30th, the depths of the riches of the glory of God. It is almost endless the things that God can pull out and you get richer, deeper, multifaceted. Uh, that's, that's just the way it works. So we continue to hear his voice as we study his word, we learn to pray, we walk in obedience to him. Now, finally, the third phrase I want you to look at in verse 22, they enlightened new believers to the meaning of persecution. Paul put it this way, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. What I want to say to you directly this morning is living the Christian life is not necessarily going to be easy. In fact, it's pretty guaranteed there's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties. That's why I'm sharing with you, hey, hello, the Apostle Paul, who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, just got stoned, experienced persecution, opposition, division, all of this, you know, and he was right in the center of the will of God. So I want to say to all of you, whether you're a brand new believer, whether you've known the Lord for a while, whether you are a seasoned veteran, 
It is the normal Christian experience. You will have tribulation. You will have opposition. There will be difficulties. There will come times of division. There will be hardships that you and I will face in a yet fallen world until the King of Kings comes. Do you hear me? So repeat, everybody look up here, repeat after me. Through many tribulations, we inherit the kingdom of God. That's it. So there, there are those who think uh, we cannot give the false gospel of success. And once you become a Christian, everything just is hunky-dory, everything is just fine. You're going to just be nothing but success, success, success. That is not the truth. We need to give you the whole truth. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. You will have trouble. You will have opposition. There will be times of confusion and division. Do not be surprised. This is what, and by the way, we have a father. And look, it would be very easy. God's all powerful. God could just make it like you walk through, you know, Disneyland. It's just like, oh, I have no problems, whatever. But he doesn't. He allows. If he's sovereign, he allows. He allowed Paul to be stoned. He allowed them to receive opposition. He allows trials in your life. Why, Dad? Why can't we just go to heaven? Look, I, you revealed, I get it. Jesus is the Lord. Boom. How many of you think it would be awesome if the moment you bowed and humbled yourself and accepted Jesus Christ, you pop into heaven? Let's go. Woo, that'd be awesome. Why doesn't he do that? Well, that's a big question. But here's what I will say. Your father in heaven is wise, and he knows what he is doing, and there's a reason why he allows every one of you to go through tribulations. Because he wants, look, he says, I'm gonna share my whole universal kingdom. It is his pleasure to share the kingdom. I mean, talk about the things that Paul said. Man, I went, I said, I can't put in, it would be a crime to put into language what I saw that is destined for us. I hath not seen, nor is ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. But when we get there and he gives us all those keys to this glorious kingdom, we need to be not little baby, immature, selfish, bratty little kids. He wants us to be grown-ups. He wants us to be mature. We are to grow to the full measure of the stature and of the character of Jesus Christ. And in a way, the only way, that doesn't just happen by giving you lollipops and cool stuff all the time. Character is developed by the opposition that comes. That's the whole thing about strengthening. An opposite weight or force causes you to push to make your muscles strong. So in the soul, so in the spirit, all of the opposition. The Lord will carry you through every trial. He will deliver you from every tribulation. He will answer every prayer. He will deliver on every promise, but you will grow from strength to strength and you will grow in stature and in character so that you're mature when you're ready to enter into heaven. So, I believe it's very, very important that we 
know these things and that we're prepared for what we go through. God loves you. And I will also say this. Every one of us has our own cup of trials that you're going to go through. Um, And nobody can live your trials. Nobody can live your life. I know my trials, and I got my cup. You have your own cup. We can't judge one another. Well, how come he got that, and I didn't get this? And, you know, you can't do that. You have what God has uniquely given you, and that's about his personal relationship with you that he might bring you to the fullness of maturity. So, look, let's give God the glory. Verses 23 through 28. Give God the glory and testify of his goodness. They finally make it all the way back to Antioch. That's where the missionary journey started. So they get back to Antioch and they share all of the incredible stories. So beginning in verse 23, it says, So when they had appointed elders in every church, so they laid hands on people and appointed elders, and they prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord to whom they had believed. And after they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. Now when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalia, and from there... They sailed to Antioch, that's home. And when they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Now when they had come and gathered the church together, so they had a big conference there in Antioch, they reported or gave testimony to all that God had done with them and that he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So... I love this. They reported all that God had done with them. And they gave thanks. And they said, Lord, thank you for the revival. Thank you that the Jewish people that accepted you. Thank you for the Gentiles. Thank you for the moving of God. Thank you for the churches we planted. Thank you for those who were able to disciple and lay hands on and raise them up as shepherds for the congregations. And they gave thanks to God. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Say this with me. In everything, everything. give thanks. thanks. Now, let me tell you what we did not just say. For everything, give thanks. There are things in my life I am not thankful for. Thank you, but no thank you. I don't like that. You don't have to be thankful for everything. Wow, this horrible, horrible thing happened. Oh, thank you, Lord. No. It says... In everything, give thanks. Yeah, this happened, and I don't like it, and it is not good. But in my situation, to God be the glory. I am yielded to him. I will not be dissuaded. I will not be distracted. I will not let go, and I will not stop praising and giving him glory. He will work this out for my good, one way or another. So what I want to say is that in everything we're to give thanks. Now, closing, let me say this. Persecution, opposition, and rejection. When these guys got home and they told all the cool stuff, they also said, on the other side, we had a lot of persecution. Look, Paul got stoned. He also got to go to heaven. He had, we had opposition. There was division. There was rejection. But all of that were not signs they were not in the will of God. They were actually signs they were in the very center of the will of God. The fact that you are being opposed, the fact that you feel resistance, the fact that there is 
spiritual warfare coming against you, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood only, but principalities and powers and mights and darkness. And you, you think that the devil wanted all these churches to be planted? He is mad. I'm okay with the devil getting mad. Let him get mad. Because he can't do anything about it or to stop it, but he can oppose it. So it becomes confirmation. So I want you to know this. Paul and Barnabas were persecuted, violently opposed, and rejected. And it was confirmation they were right in the will of God. 2 Corinthians 12.9 is a scripture. And I love this scripture from, again, the Apostle Paul, the same uh, story where he shared about being caught up to the third heaven. Let's read it out loud together. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect when you're on top of the world, when you're powerful, when you're strong. That's not what it says. It says the opposite of that. My strength is made perfect, meaning I get the glory when you are weak, but I show up strong and powerful on your behalf. And I do great things in you and through you. It's just like the disciples. I mean, half were fishermen and a few, you know, some political zealots and tax collector, whatever. It was a you know, hodgepodge little group. And yet these guys who had no education, in fact, all the learned people and the guys with the, you know, scholars and biblical knowledge are like, man, these guys, they make sense. They connect dots. They put scriptures together, prophecies together. They have a huge following. People listen to them and are persuaded by them, but they're nothing. They're, they're fishermen. They must have been with Jesus. When God uses a fisherman and a carpenter and whatever, and powerful things happen, they don't praise the instrument. They go, well, we can't praise that. That's amazing that that is doing anything at all. But the glory, all the glory goes to God. God will not share his glory with another. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So Paul said, so the weaker I am, you know, we think that, oh, if I could puff myself up and make myself respectable and everybody, wow, I'm going to follow that guy. But it's no, it's like, I, I don't really have nothing I, very much, but I have the presence and the power and the truth and the answer for today. And they go, whoa, well, we know it's not him. But they go, wow, that God that this young man serves is awesome. And we begin to be a light and a witness for him. I want to give you an example of a man who had a lifetime of discouraging, disparaging. He, he basically, it's a, a long list of failure after failure after failure. And yet he became one of the most famous men in the history of our country. So let me share this and see if and when you figure out who I'm talking about. A man many believe was the greatest American president is a very good example. When he was seven years of age, his family was forced out of their home and he had to go to work. When he was nine, his mother died. He lost his job as a store clerk when he was 20. He wanted to go to law school, but he did not have an education or the finances. At age 23, he went into debt to be a partner in a small store. Three years later, his business partner died, and the resulting debt took years to pay off. 
When he was 28, after courting a girl for four years, he asked her to marry him, and she said, nah, no. <laughs> On his third try, he was elected to Congress at age 37, but then was, he failed to be reelected. His son died when he was four years of age. When this man was 45, he ran for the Senate and lost. At age 47, he ran for the vice presidency and lost. But at age 51, he was elected the president of the United States. And that man was, who do you think? Abraham Lincoln. A man who learned to face discouragement and move beyond it. And did you know that that man with a lifetime of failures that then God picked and gave to this country at an hour when our nation was literally ripped in half, divided asunder, family against family sometimes, north against south, in a war, in the midst of a war called the Civil War, and that war, we have had more casualties than any of the other wars, maybe even combined. Over 600,000 men lost their lives and shed their blood for that war. And in the middle of that, what we were experiencing was hell on earth. In the year 1863, in the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln said, as a nation, that with all the failure, with all the darkness, and with all the crisis, and with all the division, and with all the emptiness that is there, it is time for this nation to get down on its knees and look up into heaven and confess our sins and ask God to forgive us, have mercy upon us, and to bless our land. He inaugurated the very first Thanksgiving and national time of prayer. And I believe, would you not agree that we are at such an hour for such a time as this? that we would seek the Lord. I think of a young man named Joseph, very loved of God, very favored of God, and he, um, you know, he, he, he had so much rejection in his life. He was rejected by all his brothers. They wanted to kill him, but then they ended up just selling him into slavery. And then he goes down to Egypt, and, and God's favor is on him. And then a lady wanted to have sex with him, and he wouldn't, and he ran away from her, and she held his coat, and she says, he tried to take me, and, and he got thrown in prison, and it just went from one trial to the next trial to the next trial to the next trial. But Joseph, every trial, every opposition, every persecution, he was steadfast to seek the Lord and honor the Lord, and he began to grow spiritually. God gave him by divine sovereignty, insight, he could interpret dreams and revelations, and he was literally brought before Pharaoh, who had had a dream that God had given to him, but he didn't know what it meant. It took the man of God to tell him, this is what the dream means. You got seven years of fat that are coming. You better stock up, because seven years lean are going to come upon the whole world. And he goes, wow. He goes, that sounds like that's from God. Okay, you're in charge. And literally, that young man, Joseph, who had all of that opposition his whole life, finally is sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh. Pharaoh's just eating grapes. Joseph is running the whole thing, literally, because of all that went in. And there's a psalm that says, through all of the pain and all of the hurts and all of the rejections and all of the betrayals that Joseph went, that went into his life, it put iron into his soul. So I want to say to all of you, you have your scars, you have your betrayals, you have the things that were not right, you have the things that you were taken advantage of and pushed and all the rest of it, 
But what I want you to know is if you will surrender your whole life and yield your life to the Lord God, he will take all of those scars and he will form iron in your soul to make you. It's, they don't keep you from being the man you're supposed to be, but they make you the man of God that is highly favored, highly esteemed to overcome all those trials, to be the woman that God originally intended you to be. Can I hear an amen on that? Hallelujah. Let's all stand. And bow your heads. And close your eyes. How do we sum up Paul and Barnabas' first missions tour? Well, they were opposed by a sorcerer in one town, expelled from another couple of towns, threatened with stoning in another town, and actually stoned in a fourth town, all the while setting up church after church after church. If Satan is devoting so much time and energy to oppose the work of God, what does it suggest about their eternal significance? The same with you. If the enemy is coming that hard at you, oh, what God must have in mind and planned for you to do great and mighty things, but to God be the glory, great things he has done. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Thank you, O Spirit of the Lord. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, come, O Holy Spirit, and comfort your people. There are many with scars who have been hit and hurt and bleeding and broken and wounded, though on the outside they look fine. Lord, we see in the Spirit there are many wounded like none other than Paul himself. So may your Spirit come upon us and comfort us and heal us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. He's the Savior of my soul, my Jesus, my Jesus, he's the Savior of my soul, he's the Savior of my soul.
Jesus, 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 He's the Savior of my Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.